dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Him forever. Hello, Mother Natalia. Hello, Father Michael. I miss you. You, yeah, I miss you too. You usually say, I miss your face. So I was going to respond to that or I was going to say, <laughs> so you're caught off guard. I was going to say, good to see you too. You like, you said like one of the, one of the greetings <laughs> I was not ready for you to say. Um, so we'll just lean into the awkwardness. Um, so we're doing this special episode of our podcast, What God Is Not um, for Seek 2022. We're honored to be here and honored to speak into this. We always pray beforehand, and we, I was just in in my prayer was uh, remembering how much I appreciate what Focus and Seek does for me, and my family. I've had four siblings now be Focus missionaries. Yeah, I have, I have two that still are. Um, so anyway, and I came back uh, to the church through Focus. So. Yeah, and we will tell those stories in a moment. But um, I think it may be good, Mother, if um, someone told me that that we are one of the only podcasts, if not the only podcast, they know that is uh, an unmarried man and a woman. That are the two hosts. Um, yeah, so usually it's it's true. usually it's like three guys, four guys, or like two women or whatever. But uh, we or are a married couple. So, yeah. But yeah, exactly. We're a married couple. Um. So I just I think let's do what we did on our first episode, and that's just introduce each other. Okay. <gasps> oh man. You you did that last time too. You you've had now almost two years to. I know, recover. but I'm just. It's just. Oh, <laughs> I panic every time. Okay, I'll go first. <gasps> Thank you. Just don't be as sappy as you were. I'll last know. Time. I was just about to say. I'll know, <laughs> I'll know how sappy to be based on based on what you say. Okay, there we go. All right. So, um, Mother Natalia is a thirty-year-old. She's nodding. Um, <laughs> we we do this. By the way, we do this over over the computer so we can see each other but you can't see us um 30 year old nun who has been in her life profession now for a month and a half Mm -hmm. we call her mother in the byzantine tradition Uh, both of us are byzantine catholic Uh, we call her mother any any nun who makes their life profession we call mother because of their role as mother in the church um so you you have a mother theodora is the the mother, the hegumen, we call her the abbess of the entire monastery. Um, but we call all of them once they take the final profession mother. So I've known Mother Thea, Mother Natalia now um, for over 10 years or about 10 years, over 10 years. Um, I was, I'm a, <laughs> I like that I have to nod and affirm all of I these know, things. I know, that's totally, you're going to have to, you're going to have to remind me of all this stuff. Um, we've, we've now established this as part of our role. Um, so I've been a priest, as sister will explain, I've been a priest now for 16 years, but about 10 years ago, um, and mother, you just need to be quiet as I finish this, please. Um, she came on a date, a, uh, a first date, <laughs> which I only said that because she disagrees that it was a date. Um, but a, a date. guy, a guy brought her to our <laughs> parish on a date and, um, and they, that was, I think their only date. And then she stuck around. Um, that was not their only date. Okay, no. we went on a real date. <laughs> okay, well, um, so then, but but this was her first experience of the Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy. I was a priest serving in Denver, Colorado, at Holy Protection Church. She came with a guy. Um, she stuck around, and then I think it was like within a week, you asked for spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just a kind of the chemistry was right, and she asked for spiritual direction, and then um, I've had the immense honor of of guiding her through. Her finishing up of college at the School of Mines, she got her her bachelor's in engineering physics. I need some nods. There we go. Bachelor's in engineering <laughs> physics. Um, so she's a smart one. Um, and then she graduated and then she taught uh, high schoolers um, in a middle schoolers, high schoolers, high school, high schoolers in a in a, in a, in a, a rough school in, in Aurora, Colorado, uh, where she was much, much, much beloved by the students. I think he went to about 50 quinceaneras in one year. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and taught, taught the students about the love of God. And even though it was a public school and, uh, merely by her example and, and merely by her love for them. Um, she, I kind of, was able to witness what our Lord was doing in her life through various dating relationships, et cetera. And then through my experience of discerning celibacy that I was able to share with her, um, I think we had very similar discernments of celibacy, similar struggles, similar temptations, similar draws, similar joys. Um, 
So we had a, a very a very fateful um, spiritual direction over pizza on uh, was it Larimer or what's the street there? I was on in Pearl. Denver? on Pearl Street in Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. South Pearl Street at a pizza place called Chaos Pizza. And it was where she said, um, I think not only am I open to discerning celibacy and the monasteries and none, but I think I actually want this. And I remember that very, very well. It was a very joyful moment. And then we went through the just the process of what does that look like? Um, if you feel called, if you want it, if you, if you feel able to do that. And then I've been able to walk with her now through five and a half years of of active discernment um i entered in the i entered uh just over six years ago yeah enter six years so over six years ago mm-hmm. of time in the monastery and watched what our lord's done what he's what he's purged what he's added what he's filled up what he's given her and 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 how she's been able to influence also so many lives both in her monastery and and through influence and that's why I've been a podcaster for years. I was on Catholic stuff, you should know, for years. And then I really wanted to start a podcast when I got moved to LA. And I, she was an easy, easy decision to make for a, a co-host. And we've now been doing this for almost two years, one and a half years. And it's been, uh, it's been very fruitful for us and I think very fruitful for our listenership as well. So mm-hmm. that's Mother Natalia. Oh, her name, her name, I'll say it. Can I say it, please? Yeah. Okay, oh, her name was what Victoria. my name used to be? Uh-huh, oh. Too oh. late. You said, yeah. Oh. So her name used to be Victoria. And now um, she very beautifully, one of my favorite moments ever, she said, mm. since you're a celibate, you'll never be able to name a kid. So she let me choose the three names that we submit to mother, that mother chooses one. So one of the names I chose was was um, Nathaniel after after Nathaniel or, or um, Bartholomew, um, because sitting under the fig tree, when our Lord saw him after that, he said, in, in this man, there is no guile. So she never would have chosen that name for herself. But I certainly see her as without guile. And that's the name that also mother chose. And mother named her Natalia after Nathaniel. Um, so yeah, she is now was sister Natalia for years. And then now she took her life profession a month and a half ago. And it is now mother Natalia. Mm-hmm. Man, that was, that was really good. That, you had some sappy parts too. Uh, I was, I was. I think I went a lot more than I did the for our very first episode a year and a half ago too. But. That's because the last time I think you also went first, and um, you were like, I didn't know you were going to be so like. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was like going to teach you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, man, and then you just like loved on me for five minutes. But anyway, I know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, um, Father Michael. Um, graduated from, well, our seminary in Pittsburgh, um, and also Steubenville, um, Steubenville first and then seminary and, um, a little bout through TAC, but that didn't quite pan out, did it, Father Michael? Um, I I did not try my best, but I tried my best. I was not ready for TAC. That's (laughs) That's what I mean. I was not ready for TAC, so I lasted a year, fell loud. Um, TAC was not ready for you either. (laughs) That's Um, probably true. And, um... Then you were ordained a priest. Father Michael was ordained a priest in um, on um, May twenty fifth of two thousand five. Wow! Uh, and so, yeah, as we're recording this, about six and a half years. Um, actually, it will be six and a half in just a couple weeks. So, two weeks exactly. Sixteen. Sixteen. I'm sorry. Sixteen and a half. Yeah. Years. <laughs> um, Sixteen and a half years in two weeks. Um, and then. You went to Denver in 2006, is that right? Five. 2005. Just, I was ordained and went right there, yeah. Um, you substituted in some parishes for like a month or something and then- Vegas, Phoenix, yeah, yeah. Alaska. Um, Alaska, that's amazing. And yeah, so you were at Holy Protection in Denver uh, from 2005 until 2019 maybe? Is mm-hmm. that when you were moved to LA? And in that time, um, like Father Michael said, oh, you said how old I was. Um, Father Michael is 43. Yep. His birthday is February. Now you're just showing off and embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> February 3rd, 1978. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally just trying to show off now. Um, the Bethany and I have this in common. Bethany and I remember things, although she is mm. way better of a memory than me. It's mm. in that that woman's memory is just crazy. Yes, it is. Um, so in 2011, like Father Michael said, um, that was when I met him, and actually, um, the way that came about was 
I <laughs> was not on a date with a guy, but I had um, met a guy through Focus Events. Um, it might have even been a Focus Conference. I don't remember. But anyways, and he just knew he knew that I was in like a really really bad place. Um, so uh, mentally and part of it was the engineering school and part of it was just like other things in life, but I was in a really bad place and, um, he didn't actually know quite how bad it was, but he was like, um, I want you to talk to, talk to this guy, talk to father Michael. And, um, I was like, yeah, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to be on this like weird setup with a priest that I've never met before. And so I politely declined. And then, um, shortly thereafter, like probably within a week or something, he took me to a theology on tap. Um, I almost said theology on the tap because that's what we say at our monastery because <laughs> one of the nuns, two of us actually are very bad with idioms and <laughs> she called it theology on the tap. Um, anyways, Father Michael was the speaker at this theology on tap and I was like instantly, I talked to you that night, I think probably just briefly and instantly I was like at ease with you um, as I've never been with someone else. And so when said guy took me to divine liturgy at your parish um, so that I could experience a Byzantine, Byzantine divine liturgy and with no ulterior motives, uh, I, um, I just fell in love with the liturgy and which I, I really like to be clear about with people because this is turning into my story and not yours. I'm going to come back to you. I promise. Um, I, I really like to be clear with people how much I fell in love with the East because I think too many people, you know, are like, oh, I'm going to become Byzantine because I'm just so frustrated with all of these problems in the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm like, first of all, become Byzantine and you'll learn very quickly that we also have a lot of problems. <laughs> and um, second of all, I think it's very dangerous to, as a rule, I think it's very dangerous to to choose something because you're running away instead of a running towards. And and I had I, I loved the Roman rite, um, the Latin rite, sorry, and... It was not at all a running away from that. It was very much a running towards the East because I just I just loved the East. But anyways, so he he brings me to this parish and I fall in love with the East and I decide I'm going to go to Divine Liturgy every Sunday after that. Um, and but but yeah, maybe a week later, maybe even less. I don't remember. I I'd only been to your parish maybe once and um, and I was just like Father Michael, I need to talk to someone and. Um, like, would you meet with me for spiritual direction? I just need to talk to you about some stuff. And you're like, sure. And so we met and I I just poured out my heart and I told you things that I've never told anyone in my entire life. Um, and and some of it was like really hard stuff. <laughs> and, um, and it was so beautiful. And uh, one of the things that you said to me um, very early on in our relationship, um, our spiritual direction relationship, you were like, you know what, you know what you need? Um, you know what you need to do. And by this point, I hadn't realized that like um, you never were going to ever tell me what to do because you always like make me ask Jesus about it and let Jesus tell me what to do. <laughs> and so um, so I think you're actually going to tell me what to do. And I was like, please, please tell me. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Like to get me out of this place, I'll do it. And And you were like, you need to get over yourself. And I was like... <laughs> excuse me <laughs> you can't say that um but it was entirely it was entirely the truth and it was it was not only the truth it was like you you have this gift father michael of proclaiming the truth with such love um like never once have you said something to me that was truth that um that was a hard truth in which i doubted your love for me um which uh is obviously an emulation of of the way in which christ proclaims the truth and um so it was hard to hear, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I was able to receive it. And, and it really helped me get out of that place. And so one of the things that I've been, this is more of a general thing, not so much your history, but one of the things that I've been the most struck by um, in getting to know you over the past 10 and a half years, um, almost 11 years, is um, this, this gift that you have of... Um, of loving really unconditionally, um, but without at all watering down the truth. Because I think that that people too often today are jumping to to one extreme or the other of either um, truth without charity or, or charity without truth, which 
you can't actually, that's that's kind of a, an oxymoron because you can't actually have one of those without the other, right? Like right. it's not it's not actually truth if there's not love there um, because God is both of those things. Uh, so um, anyways, it's just been, and, and, and you have this, this great gift of fatherhood, which is why it was um, a privilege for me to allow you um, to allow you the opportunity to to help choose my name, so that um, my spiritual father and my spiritual mother were the ones to to name me um, in in this new life, um, and and also to have you. You know, we have this tradition in our um, in the monastic profession that the the spiritual father walks us down the aisle at our life profession, and so to to really, um, I I saw and was moved by your fatherhood from the very beginning. Like, I think this is something that just um, the Lord really endowed you with from the start um, in your priesthood and and surely even before that. Um, But I saw your fatherhood from the very beginning, but to see how it's blossomed over the years uh, has been such a great gift. And, um, and to see you really lean into that title of father has has been such a gift. And, um, and as I said, as a thank you at my life profession and as, um, as you and I talked about later, it's like, it's really been in a way that I can't describe, um, being loved by you as father and experiencing your fatherhood is what made me receptive to motherhood. Um, and so that's just, uh, yeah, that's that's Father Michael. He's a father, and he he loves. And there you go. Thank you, Mother. You know, you, the, your insight into that is has actually had a very big impact on my on the way I I lead the parish just over these past mm-hmm. month and a half. And I've had I've had people um, reflect upon that in a way that uh, that is I think the spirit's moving um, in in what it means to be a, a father, what it means to be called father, what it means to be shepherding a community, all those things. Anyway, I'll, I'll share it off air, but th- there, there's been some really beautiful moments um, where because of you, when you wrote me that letter and when you've been able to say that, it's 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 actually encouraged me and convicted me in, in ways to to hone um, what I'm doing in, in, mm-hmm. my, in my service to my parish as a, as a priest and a pastor. So thank you. Awesome. Um, I think it may be a good time now. I, I want to talk about the the theme of Seek, uh, Seek and You Shall Find for 2022. Um, and I'm not quite sure where to go next. I, I think let's just, let's tell our Seek stories um, now and then we'll, then we'll go to the week so we can finish out with. Uh, well, I have something that I'd like to share um, about the verse Seek and You Shall Find that actually ties very much into my first experience oh, of the Focus Conference. Oh, there we conference. go. You, do, you go so, first then. Let's do that. Okay. Um, I thought you were about to say you do you. Um, you do so, you. <laughs> so, um, so I have in front of me the uh, the Orthodox Study Bible, which if anyone's interested, did we say that we're Byzantine? Yeah, we said that we're Byzantine. Um, <laughs> so um, the the... Byzantine Catholics, just for those who aren't aware, um, we are Catholic, we're in communion with Rome, we're under the Pope, all of those things. Um, but all of our, our traditions and um, uh, and the liturgy and things like that um, are the same as Eastern Orthodox, um, but with all of the dogma of Catholicism. And so in the Orthodox study Bible, it's this just amazing Bible that has... Um, reflections on different passages by, by some of the church fathers. But there's, I was looking at Matthew 7, 7, um, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And there's a note, um, what do you call the things that are? Commentary? Footnote. There's a oh, footnote. footnote. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, on, on those verses. And um, it says, the verbs ask, seek, and knock are present progressives. So the the conjugation in Greek of the verbs ask, seek, and knock um, in this verse are present progressives. Be seeking, sorry, be asking, be seeking, be knocking. And then this footnote says, note the synergy. Our effort is commanded, but never apart from the immediate help of God. We ask in prayer, seek by learning God's truth and knock by doing God's will. 
Um, so, so this, this ask, seek and knock, first of all, it's, it's a continuous action that's implied in the Greek conjugation, um, be asking, be seeking, be knocking, but also, um, it's supposed to be an active thing, right? That's why it's continual action that's implied. It's not, um, it's not a passive thing. It's very active. Um, but, but like this footnote says, our effort is commanded, it's active, but never apart from the immediate help of God. And the reason, um, the reason I like this, and the reason it relates so much to my first experience of seek, is because, um, well, it was just focus conference at the time. It was a national conference, so this was back in, this was in Orlando. In, I want to say, gosh, this was like, this was my entry back into the church. Was this focus conference, and it would have been. 2009, 2010, something like that. Um, and uh, there have been multiple in Orlando, but this was one of those. And I remember an experience that I had in um, high school because I had, my, my whole family fell away from the Catholic Church when I was in high school. And um, I briefly went back to youth group on my own. My family wasn't going to church. And in the youth group, I remember being struck by the joy of the people around me. Um, like the other kids in youth group, they had this joy, this, this, this deep joy that I did not have. Um, and I wanted to go to youth group because I wanted to be around that joy. Um, like I just wanted to be surrounded by it. And, um, life got hard again. I stopped going to youth group and then it was a few years before I went back to church and this was in college. And, um, I came back to church because of, um, a focused student leader who I had a crush on. Um, and so he invited me to mass and I'm like, not really interested in mass, but I'm interested in you. So, and, uh, but then I, which is like pretty much the reason I did anything in my life was because of a guy. Um, but the, um, ultimate fulfillment in my spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ and Amen. the, um, but anyway, so like I, I go back to mass with this guy and then um, <laughs> and then I'm at like, he's like, do you want to come to this adoration group that I lead next week? And I'm like, again, no, but like, you'll be there. Okay. And so I go to this, this adoration group. At this point, I don't even know about the true presence in the Eucharist. Um, and so I'm just like, this is kind of weird. And I'm um, sitting there with my eyes closed and I'm just like, well, at least I'll take some quiet time. And um and I go out to, um, they would go out for hamburgers uh, after this adoration group every week. And so we go out and there's a focus, a focus missionary there. Uh, shout out to Sean Garrison, uh, who I love very much. And do you know Sean, Father Michael? You probably yes, know Sean. Yes, I've met him okay. yeah, before. Um, so, um, so Sean's there at Hops with us and... Um, He's like, hey, do you want to come to Focus Conference? And I'm like, dude, I just went to Mass for the first time in years, like a week ago. Um, <laughs> and so I politely decline. Um, and uh, he's like, well, why not? And I'm like, well, it's in Florida. I live in Colorado. That's very far. I can't afford that. And which, like, it's true, right? I couldn't have afforded it, but also I was using that as an excuse. So he goes, We'll pay for everything. We'll pay for the flight. We'll pay for the conference. Um, if you need us to, we can buy you food while we're there and we'll pay for everything. It's free. And then I'm thinking, Well, free trip to Florida on spring break, uh, or not spring break. It would have been over New Year's, but um, I'm like, This is like a dream. And I'll go to like, however many of the Jesus talks that I need to. And then in the free time, I'll just go to the beach. And, um, and, um, so I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and he's like, great, sign up right now. And he pulls out his laptop in the middle of hops and just signs me up for this focus conference. What's um, hops? hops was the burger place that we oh, okay. went to. They had $3 burgers and it was amazing. Nice. Um, and they eventually changed that deal, probably because the college students took too much advantage and they were losing a lot of money or something. Um, so anyways, I go to this focus conference and I have a very similar experience. So at the time it was like, it was what I thought was gigantic and it was probably like 4,000 students. Um, and now they're what, like 20,000 or something. I don't know, but um, I haven't been one in years. So um, the, but I, I have a very similar experience to what I had in that youth group experience of I was surrounded by such joy 
And, but this time the difference was, it wasn't like, I want to be around this joy. This time it was, I want that joy for myself. I want to experience what these people are experiencing. It's not enough to be around it. And, um, and the Lord answered that prayer, right? And, and just so much joy um, in, in super abundance, like you and I were talking about recently, Father Michael, you know, like, like the Lord just gave me this grace in super abundance. Um, and the, the reason I bring this up with this concept of be asking, be seeking, be knocking is because then I go home, right? And, um, and I stay on that high for a while and then I crash. And not only do I crash, I feel like I'm further, um, further away from God than, than even before my reversion (laughs) in some sense, because, um, I now go into this downward spiral, which is actually the one that eventually I talked to you about, which you helped me out of years later. Um, maybe a year later, it was a year later. Um, this, oh, so it would have been, yeah, it would have been January, 2010. I just figured it out. Um, I go into this downward spiral because I'm like, okay, now I'm Catholic. Now I believe these things. Now I believe that all these things I've been doing for years are wrong, but I'm still doing them <laughs> because, because we, we're, we're human and we build up these human habits over years. And um, the human habits typically outside of like, I mean, God can work miracles. God can do whatever God wants to do. But, but typically for our own good, those human habits don't just go away overnight. Um, it's, it's, it's very much um, a process. And mm-hmm. so I suddenly had to, I had this, this um, tension within me of, I was having a really hard time stopping doing these things I'd been doing for years. But at the same time, I now felt like all of them were wrong and horrible, not just felt, I knew, I knew that all of them were wrong and horrible. And so there's this tension inside of me of, I now have to reconcile the fact that I'm doing these really horrible and sinful things. Um, which then was like, um, despair, which is not of God and self-condemnation, which is not of God. And, and all of these things that I had to, um, to, to kind of, um, confront and, and fight with, um, and I didn't do a good job of, of letting Jesus fight that fight for me. Um, and so, so the reason I think that this, this continual asking, continual seeking, continual knocking is so important is because it's, it's not just a one and done. And it's not just like, I've had this big conversion or this big reversion or, or Jesus has taught me this thing. Um, you know, I remember, uh, a few years ago during the great fast during Lent, I'm praying with, um, a, um, the, the Israelites wandering in the desert. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like these stupid Israelites, how could they just like, God just did all of these things for them. They saw God perform all of these miracles. And there's the, the cloud of smoke and the pillar of fire and all of these things. And, and how are they so stupid that they forgot that in like two seconds. And then, a couple of days later, I had this profound revelation in prayer, right? Like profound revelation, totally life-changing. A couple of days later, I'm reading an old, prayer, an old prayer journal and I'm like, oh my gosh, I already had that profound revelation. Like last year, I had the same profound revelation and I totally forgot that it existed. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the stupid Israelites. Um, <laughs> And so it's like, there's this, this continual action, but also like that footnote says, um, it's, it, it can't be apart from God. <laughs> um, it's not simply our effort. It's, it's, um, it needs to be done with the help of God, which was my big struggle at first was I was trying to do it on my own and not actually letting Jesus fight the fight for me. So. Amen. So I guess I share that, um, especially, um, like to, to encourage people to participate in seek because it's an incredible life-changing event, but also like, don't be discouraged by the fights that come 
afterwards, you know, um, and, and to, to keep turning to the Lord and, and he wants you to have continual conversion for the rest of your life and, and to remember that. Um, yeah, I know, I know focus is, is actively working on this. I know, I know that mm. very well, but, but it, it is something when you have not only the experience of seek, but when you have the experience of being a folks missionary and then you, you, you step away from that to get on with your life and, and the structure that seek provides the structure that being a folks missionary provides, um, you need to kind of keep that up without all the support that that focus offers from the community and and the the structure of of the day etc i mean i have uh, my my sister teresa gibbons and her husband cullen were focus uh my brother joseph and his wife seska o'lachlan um are focus you know so there's the, like since teresa and cullen have both stepped away um to pursue the things of motherhood etc um they've shared with me you know the the focus is, is provides this atmosphere for to make holiness kind of what a monastery is supposed to be, right, Mother? Like mm. a, a, an atmosphere where holiness is, the resources are there to become holy, and and when we're when we're separated from that, it, the the effort um, to be put in, and also the effort to continue to seek community where where that where that is is possible is happening. Um, so I, I oftentimes pray. I have I've had many spiritual children who were. Am you know spiritual sons and daughters who were former focus and and watching them um, go through that struggle that 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 you know they fought courageously. I know that because of that, I know focus is actually working on on continuing to support my brother-in-law Cullen. You know, worked for the alumni uh, portion of, of focus for that reason, and I, I know that they do good work. Um, I don't really know a message in mine in my experience of focus uh, I, of seek. I know that focus um, provided my siblings, uh, my youngest two siblings who became missionaries, provided them with an experience of college life um, that that was was not typical. I was so spoiled to have been able to go to University of Steubenville, and I really wanted Joseph and Teresa to be able to go there as well. And, and they see for a second. And TSC for a second, exactly. A little more than a second. That's about it. Um, and so, so that when they went to Colorado State, like a secular university, uh, God only knows what you're going to get. I went to 12 years of public school in, when I was younger, and I knew how, how much of a struggle that could be. Focus provided for them the, the anchor of the faith and also the anchor of the faith when it came to community, Bible studies, education, evangelization, et cetera. So, but my, my experience of Seek came... Uh, when they were all still folks missionaries or at least working for focus. Um, but I, we had been invited when I was on the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast, I was invited by them to, uh, to my focus to come and, and podcast at Seek 2019 in Indianapolis. Um, and so I was like, this is great. I've heard a lot about Seeks. I, I, I hear that they're amazing. Um, so since I had so many siblings going and they had kids, they invited my parents to come too, to kind of go to the Seek conference, but also to babysit, you know, so they could actually do their jobs um, at Seek. So my, my parents came, I was there, Joseph and Teresa and their spouses were there. Um, and I came and then also my friend, Leah Darrow, who I had never seen speak. I know that she's best known as a speaker. I had never seen her speak. I, I had been her friend um, previous to my podcast. She had already been a speaker, but I, I, I met her just through through friends in Denver and through, through the Augusta Institute there. So um, I became very close with her. And so she was going to give the keynote the first night of Seek 2019 in Indianapolis. And so... Our plane, our Catholic stuff plane, where, where me and Father Nathan Goble and Father um, John Neppel were, we our plane was delayed. And so Leah had asked me if I could go and give her a blessing before before her, she talked. Mm. I said, absolutely, I'd be honored. So, But since our plane was delayed, I had to text her and say, hey, flight's delayed. I'm not going to be there for the beginning of your talk. So she said, I'll find somebody else. Um, the funny, funny thing was, is that the person she found was Father Mike Schmitz. Now, Leah, Leah has six kids and... And they all know me well. I'm the I'm the godfather for the last four of them, and I've I've baptized um, the first ones. So like that, I've I've been in these kids' lives their entire life, um, and so. But Father Mike Schmitz is new to, to Leah's life, so so Leah walks over and says, "Father Mike, can you please give me a blessing before I go up and and give a talk?" And so Father Mike Schmitz, you know, puts his hand on her shoulder and is praying over her, and Ambrose Leah's um, now one of her middle children um, just like get so defensive and he goes running over the touch, literally punching father Mike as hard as he can. <laughs> he's, he's like probably four years old. Like punching, don't touch, 
touch my mom. He's yelling and screaming. <laughs> like he just he didn't know this man. Here's this guy oh, literally praying that's over. That's actually really beautiful. Supposedly, Father Mike just totally held it together and just kept on praying with like a smile on his face. Like, well, this guy was just wailing on his leg, trying to get him to, to stop touching. And Leah's holding it together, supposedly somehow too. Then Leah goes up there, and then the beautiful experience was I came, I landed, I got in my hotel, ran down to the convention center, was able to come in while Leah was still giving her talk. And that was my first experience of Sikh was was thousands upon thousands of people in this big auditorium. It was like a quarter mile long, thousands of people. And then I, there I was. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Pre-COVID. And, 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 and I look at her on the stage and I had never seen her give talks like this. I had seen her give talks to much, much smaller groups, but seeing her from so far away, seeing her on the screen, I like started crying. I was mm. so proud of her <laughs> because I, I, I didn't, I just never seen like this measurable success for her ministry. Mm. And of course, everybody else, everybody knows this, but I did not at the time, or at least I didn't have that experience. And then she sat there, Leah sat there and literally talked to every girl that wanted to talk to her until 1.30 in the morning. Wow. Like after her talk, she stood there and just talked to, they had shut down the convention center mm-hmm. and like the guards let the, let them stay because I don't want to talk to Leah. But the, the powerful thing was that my mom, I remember my mom when I was a kid and I was born again, 78. So my mom was 20 years old in 1978. So, so when she, in the midst of the sixties and seventies, she was a teenager and then a new mom. I remember hearing from her in like the eighties, she just said, you know, I really worry about our church. I worry about our mm-hmm. Catholic church. You know, it's, 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 it's struggling in so many ways. It's, it's shrinking so drastically. The vocations crisis, people are not going to church anymore. Our whole culture is changing. And she really, really worried about the Catholic church. But I heard that when she was sitting in that auditorium among thousands of young people watching Leah, who she knew and, and other people to give talks. And then later on throughout the seek, watching so many young people go to confession, all of the, the different speakers, all the, the praise, the worship, the adoration, everything that seek does so well. Um, my mom knew because all of her children, thank God were, were in the church. All of her grandchildren were still in the church and they, and they just like, she saw the hope in her family, but I don't think she realized what a witness uh, the C conference was mm. to, to that, to the faith of young people and the power of evangelization and the power of what it means to be a missionary and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, so that was my biggest take from it. I mean, we podcasted, it was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Mm. But that, that year it was like, a, we called it the fishbowl. There was like this podcasting booth and, and uh, we pod- podcasted with, with Pints of the Aquinas. I podcasted with uh, Father John podcasted with Catching Foxes. And I just kind of said it on that. We did, we did our own thing with Catholic stuff. We podcasted with Leah. Um, she came in and podcast with us, um, surprised us. Anyway, it was it was just a really good, fruitful, and just to see the the excitement, the joy, and the zeal of the young people there. I I remember thinking that and going, I hope just what you said, Mother. Like, I hope this doesn't wear off too quickly because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's such a a lightning strike of God's grace um, that that then we're asked in a sense to go down from Tabor, go back down to the real world and carry this with us. Um, and that's, we need, we need each other for that. We need that community. Yeah. And, and I think it's, um, the thing is, it's, it's not just like we come down from that and then that means that the grace wasn't actually real or the grace wasn't actually important. It's like, no, I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Mere Christianity, which is one of my favorite books, but, um, he talks in Mere Christianity about how um, God allows us the experience of falling in love with someone um, so that we then have the grace to love mm. um, in marriage. Like he, th- there's this time period of falling in love. Um, you know, like it, you don't always have like necessarily the butterflies in your stomach or that like those parts of falling in love with someone for your whole marriage. But, but you needed that time period in order to then actively love for the rest of your life. Um, and I think it's very similar with things like this, with the, the graces that God pours out in, in things like focus conferences is that they're meant to give us a foretaste of the beauty of paradise, um, of like, this is what union with God when I'm really focused on him, because that's that's what a focus conference is, right? Um, a seat conference is is like, this is all about my relationship with the Lord. 
That's the whole point of this. And so it's like this very intentional time of being with him. And so the the joy, the peace, these are, St. Paul says, these are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Like all of that is is um, coming from from this this time of union in order to remind us like, this is how good things can be um, at, a, at a profound level. I don't mean like there are always human difficulties. There are always like earthly cares and things like that. But, but when we really have the right focus, no pun intended, um, this is how good um, at a profound level uh, life can be. And which reminds me of that, that Chrysostom quote that I was sharing with you, Father Michael, um, uh, St. Saint, Saint John Chrysostom in his commentary on Matthew 7, 7, the ask, seek, knock verse, um, he says, however, Jesus did not simply command us to ask, but to ask with great concern and concentration for this is the meaning of the word he uses for seek. For those who are seeking, put aside everything else from their minds. They become concerned only with the thing that they are seeking and pay no attention at all to the circumstances. Um, and so I think that's, that's the point of times like this are to help us fix our gaze on Christ. Um, and cause that's how we walk on water, right? Like when, like how did, how did Peter, when did Peter start to sink? It was when he took his eyes off the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And so, so the things like this, the seeking, the seeking for truth are, are meant for us to lock our gaze on the face of Christ so that we can walk on water. And then consequently, others will see us walking on water and, and they'll be saved by our faith as well. The, uh, we referenced earlier with that in mind, we referenced earlier the uh, coming down Mount Tabor and, and so you can kind of be a Tabor experience and you got to go down and carry it with you what you've experienced to let that actually impact you and change you. Um, I think another example of that is, is what um, mother, you and I just finished recording the, the second episode of our crowning um, mystery of crowning episode. So on our reflections upon Byzantine marriage and the Byzantine marriage ceremony. And one of the things that we had father Joel Barstad on, and he was saying that in our Byzantine wedding ceremony, the couple gets crowned. That's actually the moment of the sacrament is when they get crowned. And these are crowns of martyrdom. They've now died to themselves to live for their spouse. They're no longer their own. They're, they really are in a very real way martyrs. Um, but as we said, and as Father Joel said so eloquently, Father Joel is a married priest, so he knows he knows what it means to celebrate a marriage, a marriage and to undergo it himself and to live it out. Um, but he he was saying that those crowns in the marriage ceremony are a, are a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Like in that moment, you, you in a sense- <laughs> When he said that, you were like, I'm going to use that. Yeah, I know it's going to be in the next that. episode. <laughs> For sure, yeah. I'm sure it'll do it again too. But um, but it, it was like, it's a prophecy. It, it's, it's, it's you receive the reward in the beginning and now you must earn it. Now you have mm-hmm. to carry out the reward of that self, that crown of self-gift, the crown of martyrdom throughout your entire life. So, um, you know- it, we, we get married and in the marriage ceremony and then you live out that marriage for the rest of your life. And, and the, cro- the crosses are there and the struggles are there. Everything's there uh, much more so than the ceremony. And so you can almost see, like, I imagine a sea conference like a marriage ceremony, you know, and, and then when, when it gets hard later on, you don't jettison the ceremony. You don't, you mm. don't say, you know, you mm. don't mm. criticize, you don't criticize the wedding ceremony because your entire life was not in the joy of the wedding ceremony or the honeymoon, you know. Um, but that that's what was a prophecy and what empowered you through the mystery, the sacrament to live that out. I think that can be a similar way to CC conferences where you you go to them, they can be so, I mean, I'm, and I, I don't want to, you know, I'm sure people have had bad experiences to see conferences with, you know, I know when I was young and, and I'm more awkward than I am now, like I didn't really like big gatherings because I, I was always trying to find friends and they weren't always there. I wasn't one of the cool kids. I just, I felt like kind of an outcast and a loner. I know sisters, sisters <laughs> starting to cry. Um, I, so it's so like, sometimes those big things were hard for me. And it, it, I, I, so, I wanted, it's so, hard to, it's so hard to understand because I know like, it, it is not how you are now. It, it is for me too. And thank God for that. God just gave me the gift of being able to kind of handle crowds and all those things much better than I did when I was young. But um, but yeah, it's like, so I get that too. And I, I, I'm i sorry for that. And I, I'll, I'll pray for you um, that you feel that. But but most of the time, and I know Seek does this better than most, is to make sure there no one is left out, you know. But anyway, mm-hmm. so w- when, when we carry the graces with us, the experience of a good confession or a good time in adoration or hearing a good speaker, being around our friends, you know, um, 
being able to carry that with us, see, uh, can be a, a prophecy for for the next year or the next you know next few years, where that may be to to be that moment of sacramental grace from Eucharist and from adoration, from from confession, all those things. Um, but just real quick, I wanted since we are since we're Byzantine Catholic. Uh, maybe one of these years we can get a, a business Catholic divine liturgy at Seek. Um, I'll work on that. Um, but uh, but the since we're business Catholic, I was reflecting upon this passage from Matthew and also upon the this this year's Seek theme and Seek and you shall find. And I just wanted to say like a quick reflection upon our Byzantine divine liturgy because that's what most people, most um, Catholics, uh, that's that's the beginning of their experience of 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 our right and church, our Byzantine Catholic right and our Byzantine Catholic church um, is, is a divine liturgy. Sometimes it's just like walking into a beautiful Byzantine chapel, but the, the divine liturgy is usually the way it is. And it's been interesting because uh, yeah, all the different... Um, for those who don't know, Byzantine divine liturgy is what we call mass. Yeah, so it's the Eucharistic celebration like yeah. a mass, exactly. Um, so there's... So the, the different rites... Right, just comes from ritual. It's the way we pray the Eucharistic celebration. The different rites and the different churches. Churches means that that you have your own bishop within a rite. Um, so there's Ruthenian, Ukrainian, Melkite, Russian. All those are churches within the Byzantine rite. Um, the way that we celebrate the the Mass um, within those used to be geographic. So if you lived in one city, the whole city was one rite. The whole city was Roman Catholic, or the whole city was Ruthenian, or Ukrainian, or Melkite, whatever it may be. The whole city was that. So everybody went to that church. In the United States, we're such a melting pot, we don't have that anymore. So it's been a very interesting experiment and practice in saying the different rites are, are attractive because they're all equal in dignity. Of course they are. So they're all, they tend to attract different personality types. And in the United States, um, the Western mindset, the more scholastic mindset that, that, that has been such a beautiful thing for the West, um, that makes itself home in Western culture and Western culture is what we live in the United States. So here in the United States, we have this, this Western culture. So the vast majority of people are going to be attracted to a Western tradition, which is, which is the Roman Catholic church. So, um, most most Americans find the structure of the Roman Mass the 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 kind of it begins and then this section begins and ends this section begins and ends and and it has a logical flow through the course of the Roman Mass. Most Western people find that um, find that helpful in their relationship with Christ and in their growth towards holiness and salvation. Um, and and what that means is that uh, that when Someone with th with that personality, that mindset, uh, goes to a Roman Mass. Well, it's providing the finding to what they're seeking, and it also informs them on on how to seek. So, oftentimes, if if we're like this this ongoing seeking, it comes from God too. God teaches us the right questions to ask. He teaches us how to seek. But it's just like the right the the the, the earliest evangelizers, the apostles themselves, they took their mainly Jewish background and their experience of Shabbat and Passover and, and the Jewish feasts and the Jewish year, they took that experience and they experienced the Eucharistic celebration and the word of God. They experienced Jesus Christ and, and taking their, their Jewish heritage and their experience of Jesus, they went out to different cultures and some went to Alexandria, some went to Antioch, some went to India, some went to, you know, all over the place. And so those who ended up in the West, um, the, the Eucharistic celebration developed according to the traditions that were already existing in the West. And the same thing when you went East. So you have a culture that has existed for thousands of years encountering Jesus Christ in the apostles who were sent. That's what apostle means, sent. That are sent there. And and so they the the liturgies adapted over the courses of hundreds of years um, to be Jewish history, Word of God, Jesus Christ, and then the culture of the people. So our divine liturgy is going to be very different from the Roman Catholic Mass because it developed in a different culture. Mm -hmm. Same Jesus Christ, same Jewish history, but a different culture. And so what I have found is that in the United States, since most of us have a very Western mindset, that's a good thing. There's a small percentage. That's why we Byzantine Catholics are so much smaller. But I have found that the people, and I've had other priests say the same thing. Both you and I 
sister mother are are we we joined the Byzantine Catholic Church on our own where we were in a sense converts we switched rights from the Roman Catholic Church to the Byzantine Catholic Church because we are of the the maybe 10% of Americans who, whose personality and the way that they see God the way they seek God the way they find God is is more of a is more of a what we would just call basically to overgeneralize an Eastern way of seeing things Eastern mm-hmm. Christian way of seeing things and I, I think one of the ways as I think about what that means for our Byzantine Catholic Church in the United States I think one of the things and this is this is another Father Joel Barstack quote, but those who have a a very liturgical imagination are attracted to the Byzantine divine liturgy. And what that means, I think, is that um, as I mentioned, in the Roman Catholic Mass, it mirrors the, the the Roman or the Western mindset, and that you you start here, then you finish this portion, then you start the next section, you finish that portion. It's very compartmentalized. In the East, it's not compartmentalized at all. Like we always, because I think we have slightly Western mindsets, we try to find okay, this begins in this sense, and this is why we do it. Then this begins in this sense, this is why we do it. But the Byzantine Divine Liturgy is not nearly as structured as the Roman Catholic Masses. It's much more of an experience. There's you're you're, you're quoting the Psalms, you're quoting the Fathers, you're kind of jumping up to a theme, then then going back, and then moving forward again, then jumping, leaping ahead. It's very much about what, when you understand what liturgy is, namely a ritual um, proposed and empowered by the church to reveal God, to invite us into a relationship with him and to, to receive the grace of God as a community among those who are gathered there. And all of this to springboard us in a sense, these things are prophecies as well, springboard us to the experience of, of the end things of our own death and, and the last things us getting our resurrected bodies back. And I think that there's something about the the experience of divine liturgy for that 10% that have that type of liturgical imagination where they experience the divine liturgy, they participate in the divine liturgy, and they they see God in the the near chaos of 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 a divine liturgy compared to other types mm-hmm. of liturgy. But in in that beautiful chaos. Um, there's something, I mean, in, in our Byzantine tradition, we really shouldn't have pews. Pew, pews are, are way too structured. You know, they, they make us stand in a row and they, we can't really move around a lot. And, and, you know, everybody's kind of standing and kneeling together in our Byzantine church. We don't traditionally have pews. So people move around a little bit more and, and you're, you're standing almost the whole time. You can put chairs anywhere you want. So it's, it's kind of a, everything looks a little more chaotic. Um, I have other theories about this. I won't mention them here, mother, but I'll talk to you afterwards. Maybe we'll do a podcast later on about, about my theories here, but this, this isn't the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's something about that, that liturgical imagination. I think it's because the, in the, in the Byzantine mindset, especially, which is again, my main experience here, um, everything is a symbol. And it's the same thing in, in the Roman Catholic church and the Roman Catholic mass as well. But we really emphasize symbols and signs. Um, and again, symbol, the etymology means like two things thrown together. In other words, one thing that that symbolizes or points to something else, and this comes oh, from the that's same. That's why root. the instrument is also called a symbol. Two things thrown Probably together. Probably not, but maybe. I never <laughs> thought of it that way. I will have to look that up. I, I I thought I thought you were kind of making a joke, but you actually may be true. No, <laughs> that, I, I that was may be serious. right. Two things going together. Because one is C and one is S. That's why I'm thinking they're not, but who yeah, knows? I don't differently, but so yeah. are like, it could yeah. just be different. You, you may be right. Any, any listeners get back to us. Um, um, but two things run together, but, but the, the main uh, historical identification here was like, if you wanted to test out something, like if you were a merchant and somebody gave you a coin, you didn't know if that coin was real or not. You had a coin you knew was a coin and you put it up against the one that they gave you and you could compare the two. Mm-hmm. And so your coin identified that you know is real, identified this coin as a real coin as well. So this is the the root of sign and symbol. All these things, they point to something else. So the, the Byzantine divine liturgy, as is the Roman mass, any ritual that is a symbol of something else, the, the experience of it, the experience of it. This is why I highly recommend, if you're listening, arrive in church early, experience the whole thing and leave when it's done, like none of this arriving late, leaving early, like you're, 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 you're disrespecting the symbols and the, the beautiful reality that everything the church proposes for our liturgy is, is, has, is meaningful. 
And if we let ourselves experience it and participate in it, we will actually experience God. You know, that, that's what a true symbol is, is, is an experience of the thing that, that is represented. Mm. We have icons in our business Catholic church, of course, that we love. And, and we call them windows into heaven because you venerate the icon and you, what you're doing is your, your veneration is passing to the thing represented, to the actual person or in an amnesis in history, the, the event that is portrayed in that. Um, so, so literally every divine liturgy is, is an experience of Eden. That's one of the things I love about not having pews is because you kind of wander around like Adam and Eve wandered around in Eden. You know, you can look at the icons, you can light candles. There's a certain um, laid back, like we were walking through a garden experience mm-hmm. of the divine liturgy. You kind of, you can kind of wander around if you want to. Um, it's an experience of Eden and therefore that points to heaven. Like the divine liturgy is an experience of heaven. What do we have in heaven? God and each other. What do we have in divine liturgy? God and each other. Like that's, that's what we have. And then all of that points also to the end times. I mean, in our anamnesis, in our, in our prayer, where we remember the cross, the death, the resurrection, the ascension to heaven, the sitting at the right hand, and we remember the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. We remember what hasn't even happened yet because all of this is present. What has not happened yet is present to us in the divine liturgy. And for those who have a, a liturgical imagination that is able to perceive these more Eastern ways of expressing these things, a slightly more beautifully chaotic, um, m- more motion, more drawing in and out. There's really no beginning and end point to things. We really don't care about those things. There's a beginning, certainly divine liturgy and end to it. But you know, within it, there's just a lot of movement and, and things that, that would really frustrate a lot of people. Um, but but for those of us that that were given personalities by God for this, it, it can really be a, a, an experience of heaven, of the afterlife, of the end times, of Eden, of Jesus Christ, of of all of these realities, even salvation itself. That's really beautiful. Thank you. What's your favorite part about being being Byzantine sister? Um. I I really like the um the depth, beauty and variety of our liturgies. Like not 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 only the divine liturgy but the the way in which we pray like matins and vespers and but also like the akathis and the great canon of St Andrew of Crete and like we just have a a variety of liturgies that that go so deep and it's like you know I've I've heard it the um, Byzantine liturgies described as like um, like a water coming out of a fire hydrant or um, <laughs> or a waterfall or something like that where it's just like you get totally drenched and it's overpowering and you can't possibly receive all of it um, but but every once in a while there's there's one drop that that hits you that like you can collect that one drop and um, and and just rest in that and and delve into that Um uh, that one drop very deeply. Um, so it's it is just kind of like letting it all flow over you and, and see what sticks. <laughs> like some personalities, again, talking about personalities and what we're attracted to, which right, which church, some personalities, um, when they experience that, they go, okay, that was not pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to what I know. And other people go, I didn't like, that was so overwhelming. I need to go back again. Mm-hmm. Like some people say it's so overwhelming in one way that I just, I, I need to, I, I need to kind of separate some myself from it and go back to what I know and what feeds me and what brings me closer to Christ. Other people say that was so overwhelming. I need to go back again, maybe again, third, fourth, fifth time. Well, it's, it's fascinating because Father Ryan Mann, when he and I were talking this morning, you know, he was like, he was like, you know, it's always kind of fascinated me that you're so attracted to the, to the East because, mm-hmm. um, you're so ordered. <laughs> um, and he's actually, it was funny because he was talking about how our, our he's like, in, in the West, we have like, we have beginnings and ends and parts and, and you just don't have that in the East. So it's really funny. Like that was this morning that he was saying that. Um, and because, uh, you know, like I went to an engineering school and that's very much mm-hmm. how my brain works. And um, and I've, I've always loved math because math, there's always an answer. Even if the answer is no solution, you have an answer and it's very straightforward. Um, and, uh, but I, I told him that I think that what it is, is that's part of what draws me so much to the East is that it's not my natural temperament. Mm. Um, and so it's very obviously super natural to me. Um, it's not natural. And so it, it very much, um, the, the spirituality, spirituality of the East draws me out of myself. 
Um, that's that's exactly. So. By the way, what I want to have an entire episode on with you, Great. mother. So I, like that, it's it's that it's that I had some thoughts the other week. Anyway, okay. I want I want to respect the hour, so we should probably finish up. Yes, we should. Um, but uh, thank you, mother. This was great. It was nice was reflecting really upon seek. I don't think I've ever done that with you explicitly, Mm-mm. and uh, getting to share a little bit of our what we love about our faith. Absolutely. So, do you have a prayer intention? We usually finish with prayer intentions. Um. Yes. If you could, um, please pray for. Um, all of my friends, you know what? Pray for Maddie Hebert. Um, I was just thinking like, I want to pray for my friends who are in college right now. And um, Maddie's in graduate school and uh, yeah, pray for her. Amen. Well, if you could pray for, then I'll, I'll keep up that trend. Uh, Valeria Salgado at my parish and also uh, Carolus, don't know his last name, but Maddie's, uh, Valeria's friend. Um, and then also pray for Paul Laxon, who is from mm. our parish, but who is now recently in seminary. Yeah, pray for all the all the kids in college, and then pray for my niece Shaylee, who I know, <laughs> I know Crazy. she will be yeah. she will be going to college very very soon. So so Shaylee O'Loughlin, love you, Shaylee, if you're listening. Um, I hope you end up at a, at a at a college where there's focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be more confident in your in your guidance towards the church if you go to a college that has focus. So praying for that. Amen. Father bless. Lord bless all of you. Keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May He give you every good thing you need, even to the salvation of your soul. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.